cows work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So we're going to just, you know, continue onward with some of the things we were talking about yesterday and uh, just push push this uh, forward a little bit more. Um, I had this thought, though, over the last 24 hours that uh, was kind of, I was talking to somebody about the Gilded Age and... I was talking about, um, oh, I, w- I was watching the movie, uh, of all movies, Trading Places. It's up on its 40th anniversary, anniversary. And it got me thinking about something that I think might be a little bit profound, but yet probably for others, they figured it out a long time ago. But... Uh, you know, when you look at the Gilded Age and you look at the top four, the, the, the 400, you know, the elite 400, old money versus new money, you start to get into that whole realm, that whole area of scarcity, exclusivity. So I think what we're dealing with right now is a super elite You take like King Charles and the Rothschilds and Bill Gates and George Soros and you take all this this power elite, the World Economic Forum, you know, the cost to even get into Davos is $600,000. It's so exclusive. And then, you know, all this time we've always seen these Arabs these Arab kings, you know, with more money than you could ever imagine. And it's always been sort of this exclusive thing. But as time changes and things evolve, there becomes this middle class that starts to uh, prosper from 
let's just say the emergence of the internet. And let's just say that they are evolving and they're making millions, if not billions of dollars through these startup companies, whether it's PayPal and a guy like uh, Teal or uh, Elon Musk, offshoots from PayPal, which Elon Musk was an offshoot from PayPal, he and his brother. And they start Twitter. And you got guys like with nose rings, Jack Dorsey. And you get all kinds of different whippersnappers, like Mark Zuckerberg. And they have all these different ideas, and they're smarter than the old, old guard. And they're more competitive than the old guard. And out of this, Alphabet, Amazon, Jeffrey Bezos doesn't have any allegiance toward the old guard. Yet one of the richest. And so there it is. All of these super rich people happen to just so happen to be liberal. They all are. Even Elon Musk voted for Biden. Now he's starting to realize that now that he's in the free speech business that he's starting to see and Elon Musk is sort of cut from a different cloth because he he's a uh, like a physicist and he's a mathematician and a and a practical pragmatic kind of person and he can't square the the round circle with the hypocrisy on the left wing <clears throat> So he's speaking truth to power in a sense. But he's sort of between a rock and a hard place because he must kiss the ring of climate change in order for his Tesla to thrive and survive. Because nobody really wants a a battery car. I just read a report yesterday. This guy had a Hyundai long-range electric vehicle and he scraped the bottom of the car and created a little bit of damage the whole battery needed to be replaced and it wasn't covered under warranty and it wasn't even damaged they didn't even take the cover off to see if the battery was damaged but $60,000 to replace the battery another person you know the battery went bad 12,000 another person was 26,000 depending on the size of the battery and what have you but the auto industry the auto market is collapsing because nobody wants these uh, electric vehicles and they're sort of uh, de-incentivizing combustible engines and subsidizing electric vehicles that nobody wants. So nobody's really buying because these things are too expensive anyway. And then they're given the choice. I spend $60,000 on a car and and next thing you know, I'm, I'm paying insurance and uh, I'm paying a whole bunch of other things. And you get a guy like me that, you know, basically uh, does the math and says, you know, if I were to get a car, you know, the average Joe is paying 
600 to $1,000 a month for cars, for their, for their auto. And, you know, I, 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 live, I live inside the Beltway of D.C. It costs me about $10 to get to, D, to, to the Capitol. You know, less sometimes. You know, $8 to get to the Capitol, to get to Union Station, to get to anywhere I need to get. And, you know, I can go out and have dinner and not even have to worry if I have a glass of wine, uh, worry about a, a DUI. I don't have to drive a car. Somebody picks me up. It's sort of like living elite. Gets me back to my original point. We'll own nothing and be happy, maybe? I don't know. I don't think that's true, actually. I think times we are changing, as Bob Dylan once said, and we don't know where we're going, and that's the problem. I don't think we know how this ends. We don't know how this works out. But the human condition is we always figure it out, don't we? We always try to figure it out, make the best out of a bad situation. And sometimes you get into a good situation. But that calculus is being made, and it's killing the industry, uh, auto industry. And cars are sitting on the lot for longer than they've ever been. And uh, I watched these YouTubes on these auto market collapses, and it's doom and gloom, and it's across the board. So it's just a matter of time to see where this goes. And then you got all this inflationary activity. Student loan forgiveness is one thing that comes to mind. And then you got um, uh, portfolios of housing dumps from large corporations, that co- commercial buyers of home real estate. And so, you know, you just don't know where it's going to go. But I think that 24 is the, can, is the year the can is kicked down the road. <clears throat> I think that the, the real tumult or the real struggle in the housing market has been delayed more than I even expected. And I think we're going to see a housing market uh, in 2025 that's going, to, uh, that's going to be loosened up. It'll probably become more of a buyer's market. Right now, no one wants to buy. No one wants to sell because they have a 3% interest rate. No one wants to buy because the interest rate's too high. And the price of housing hasn't really reduced yet. And two things have to happen. The price of the, the prices have to come down and the interest rates have to come down and it has to and, and the inventory has to go up. You know, so we'll see what happens in this housing market, but it's kind of interesting. Back to the Gilded Age and back to scarcity and back to the thing about the Gilded Age is there's new money. New money and the old guard, and the old guard didn't want the new money. So now the, today's new money is Jeffrey Bezos, Elon Musk, um, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, all these you know conglomerates, all these startup king kings, you know, and they're all richer than Midas, and and they're offshoot. Like whether it's like all the all the the top 10% of the employees at Google 
are super rich. And at some point, if you have 10 million, if you're a multimillionaire, you can live like a billionaire. There's only so much you can really buy, right? And everybody right now has a yacht. I mean, surely all the money we gave over to Ukraine without any kind of a, a, a meaningful audit, you know how many millionaires we created just, just from that exploitation of money laundering so that our politicians in the Beltway can get rich? That's why they keep these perpetual wars, throwing money, printing money, turning them into missiles. But somebody got made a lot of money building that missile. And when they built that, when they got that money and built that missile, they pocketed how many hundreds of thousands per missile into their pocket? How many yachts did they buy from those government contracts? The military industrial complex injected cash that went over to Ukraine and then back into their pockets, whether it's politicians, uh, think tanks, or you name it. And that stimulated the Washington economy. That's why the Washington economy, uh, Washington, D.C., is sort of immune to the natural causes of recession and depression outside of the beltway of D.C. You see cranes going up everywhere around here because the money never sleeps here in D.C. Apparently... You know, there's a lot more going on in D.C. than just money laundering. And we're going to get to that a little bit today. But I really believe, you know, I was watching Trading Places. I was thinking about globalism, as I always do. And I think that the reason why these super rich want to kill us and destroy the middle class is because they don't want to be having to share their neighborhood with new money. Because with a million dollars in your pocket, which is not hard to get these days, you can act like you have a $100 million in your pocket. You could still buy the big house, you could still drive the fancy car, and you can go to the nice restaurant. But they don't want you there. That's why all these super rich people want to depopulate. They want scarcity. They don't want to share the world with you. They're too snobby. They're too highfalutin. They're too elite. They don't want you making loud noises and sitting two tables down at some fancy exclusive restaurant just because you can afford it. You drive up in your fancy car. Maybe you put some dice on the, uh, um, you know, the review mirror. And you have lights trimmed underneath each door. So you took your Bentley and you you, you jacked it up. They don't like that. They don't like that flash. They're dignified. They don't want your new money messing up their thing. Their exclusive club. The racket club. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. You know, if you're black and you're rich, you know, like LeBron James, they don't want you here. They may want your vote, but they don't want to dine with you. But here it is. 
Every NBA star makes more money than the Rothschilds. But do they act the same? Do they behave the same? Are they the same? No. They don't want LeBron James and half the NBA at their exclusive club. Just because you could afford to buy your way in doesn't mean you're welcome. And so I think that really what we're dealing with with this globalist thing is this elitism. This is why the universities, all these tweed jacket wearing um, jerks uh, who think they're so smart and think they're so well-read and academic or just because they're well-read and academic doesn't mean they're smart. Just because they, you know, had a book published, anybody could really publish a book. Doesn't mean the book has anything meaningful to say or is good. But, oh, yeah, three books and, and I'm, I've tenured. I'm a tenured professor. And I'm on the faculty and I'm on the board and I'm on the dean's list. It's sort of like, you know, you spend your whole life in the military and you got some stripes. Doesn't make you any better. There's a lot of moms uh, raising a family that got a lot of stripes too. There's a lot of business owners that have worked and hustled their butt off day in and day out. 40 years in a business, they got their stripes too. Doesn't make them any less just because they didn't need a trophy every time they scored a touchdown. And I'm telling you, that's, that's what the motivating factor is behind this World Economic Forum elitism. It's an old boys club, and they're sick and tired of sharing the world with more and more millionaires that can buy their way into the exclusive clubs to the point where they're almost being pushed out because they don't really, it's all been watered down. And they're no longer exclusive. It used to be that if you had $10 million, you were one of one. of one, Right? Now everybody's got $10 million. It's, it's a joke. A- anybody can get it. So, you know, like a lot of people have $10 million now. $10 million, you could do anything you want. Just about. Still can't buy that $75 million boat. For that, you need a Ukrainian contract. And then, you know, if you're a friend of Zelensky's, you can get yourself two of them, which is what they did recently. So that's where I was with that. I was watching Trading Places and these Duke and Dukes, you know. It's crazy. Uh, So I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, the same people that are behind the vaccines and the same thing that are behind the uh, ESG, they're putting up these guards and guardrails and roadblocks and regulatory uh, restrictions. And they're saying you can't manufacture in the West. You can't blow that smokestack uh, like we used to, um, you know, to get rich. Um, you can't, you no longer, you have to be hamstrung. In order to get uh, up the ladder, you need a answer to us you need to actually pay us a toll and we get to decide who gets rich and who doesn't because we got all these esg taxation scores 
So Jamie Dimon is in the club, right? He's already there. You know, you got King Charles in the club. You got Klaus Schwab's already in the club. They're never leaving. You know, it's it's that's what's going on here. I was trying to think of what the motivating factor is. It's so discriminatory. The elites are discriminating, liber, liber, liberal, discriminating, segregationists. And haven't we seen it? Even Black Lives Matter or universities give these uh, people of color a safe space. And, and they've conditioned these people into this stupid way of thinking to the point where it almost serves them. They got the Black Lives Matter folks segregating themselves out of sheer stupidity when that was the white person's goal at the top of the university to begin with. Yeah, we we just we didn't have the nerve to to push segregation again like we used to in the 60s. We got you thinking that that was what you wanted. And now you're doing it for for us. You're doing our dirty, carrying our water. It's sort of like that whole Democrat plantation thing. Where, you know, for a few shackles, you'll get my vote and you'll put me in a corral and I'll do as I'm told. Malcolm X was probably right. All right, let's move on. But that that is really the motivating factor behind the globalist agenda is it's deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted in Marxism, Nazism, segregationism. It's deeply rooted in racism and discrimination. And it's to keep people segregated. It's to keep them in an exclusive way. And that is where that that is why they push and advocate for depopulation. They try to tell you you can't eat that steak. They try to tell you what car you have to drive. They want to control your money with digital currency. They want to control your speech and the way you behave. If you're Donald Trump, you're going to get it. But if you're someone else, you're not. And you're going to see the theme of this show is going to go down that path a little bit with something we have for you. The woke mind virus. So Elon Musk was talking in Italy about the woke mind virus. Let's take a listen to this. And here it is. Yeah, yeah, woke mind that, that virus. Yeah. Woke mind uh, illness. What's that virus? <clears throat> yeah, so... so it's coming to Europe. I have to advise you, huh? Yes, well, this is not something you should import from America. Please don't import the work mind virus. It's bad. <laughs> um, so, the, the, I mean, essentially, that, that, to summarize maybe the work mind virus, it consists of creating very, very divisive um, identity politics. So it actually amplifies work virus, mind virus, in my view, amplifies racism, amplifies uh, frankly, sexism, and all the isms. And wh while claiming to do the opposite, it, it actually divides people and makes them uh, 
sort of hate each other, and it makes people hate themselves. Yeah, yeah. My- right? Isn't that what they've been pushing on uh, the Black Lives Matter and 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 victim victimhood? It's the woke mind virus and Trump derangement syndrome all go like hand in glove. So Charlie Kirk was talking about Elon Musk. Let's take a listen. I think it becomes a game changer in the 2024 election season. Elon Musk liberating Twitter will go down as one of the greatest free speech victories in the history of Western civilization. You know how awesome it is where we can log on to Twitter and we could say, yeah, you know, Dylan Mulvaney, he's a man. Rachel Levine is a man and kind of like a creepy pervert, honestly. That January 6th is probably an inside job. It's more of a Fed surrection than anything else. And that 99% of people on January 6th did nothing wrong. That we can go on Twitter and say that, you know, George Floyd wasn't a hero and Derek Chauvin was targeted in a Soviet-style trial that was anti-American and un-American. One of the reasons why the powerful are getting nervous is because we can finally speak again online. One of the main victories of 2023 is that we could say, that's BS. No, you're not going to trans our kids. You're not going to groom our children. You're not going to... You're not going to then call us these terrible, awful names when in reality, you're, the, you're actually the things that you're calling us. You see, as, this, as, as our ability to speak and challenge authority and challenge power grows, the likelihood of our victory increases. Boom. Yeah, I agree. Uh, free speech. Who knew? And this is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of a real leader who promises uh, common sense. Let's take a listen. On day one, I will sign a new executive order to cut federal funding for any school pushing critical race theory, transgender insanity, and other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content on our children. He's unstoppable, folks. And I will not give one penny to any school that has a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate. And I can't believe I have to say it, but I do. Who would think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we'd have to say this? I will keep men out of women's sports. Can you believe it? There you go. I mean, just common sense, right? Common sense, common decency. This is the uh, clip we started yesterday. I wanted to play the rest of it today. Uh, This is Don Jr. Let's take a listen. I mean, you recently said, you know, America became a fundamentally different country the moment that Mar-a-Lago got raided. You know, both... Uh, yes, in the media, there yes. was silence in law enforcement. Everyone, oh, this is totally normal. You know, can you can you expand on that? Because I, I do think you're right. That was, that was a sort of a turning point uh, in discourse. But it was also a, a, a sort of a flipping of a switch, I think, for a lot of Americans who are finally realizing that everything that they've been told about their country, everything that they've been told they must believe uh, or they're not a patriot, uh, so much of that is based on a total lie at this point. So this is actually Don Jr.'s show called Triggered, and he's interviewing 
none other than Tucker Carlson, who's pushing his new network, the Tucker Carlson Network, which I think is going to, I think it's going to have legs. I think it's going to be a game changer. Remember, Ted Turner had his own network, right? I completely agree. I mean, that was that was the moment that changed my view of everything. And I happened to be out of the country when that happened with my kids. Taking, I used to get a week in the summer and a week at Christmas, yeah. and that was, was the week in Mongolia. In the I'm not going to tell you where I was, but I was, yeah. you know, I, I was with my kids in totally yeah. isolated place, and I had been. To, my son is works in politics. So I've been talking. He's very smart. So I've been talking to my son about this stuff and like, what's going to happen? Does, is Trump really going to run? Is that real? I'm asking him, and I don't. I don't know if. I mean, I don't know. The next day, he comes to me and he's reading on his phone. He's like, they just did this at Mar-a-Lago. And I, and I said, I, you know, you, this will destroy the, This is the thing that will actually destroy the country. You want to end democracy? All this, you know, pearl clutching about democracy. Democracy. If you want to end democracy, this is what you do. And, and of course, because we're from Washington and we understand my dad worked in government. I've been around it my whole life. I understand the classification system and I know what a scam it is over a billion classified documents. So it's not a democracy by definition. If you can't see what your government is doing, you're not really in charge of your government, are you? No, of course not. And so the fact that they got them on a classification charge was so mind-boggling to me because I know how it works very, very well. I was like, I was just stunned. And my first thought was, and I I happen to like Trump, as you know, and I agree with him on 90% of his views on things. So I'm just, I'm aligned already ideologically. But even if I weren't, I mean, if he was saying things that I really didn't like, I'd still, in fact, even if I hated him, which I don't, but I would still be like, no, you can't have that. My kids live here. My grandkids are going to live here. Uh, We want to live here anyway. We have nowhere else to go. You can't wreck our system. You didn't create it. You know, my family's been here hundreds of years. So I kind of feel like, sorry to say it, but a little bit of ownership of it. No, this is our country. Stop that. You can't do that. And we will end the country if we don't have free and fair elections and a fair justice system. Those are the two prerequisites above all else. That's why people come here. It's not for our financial system and all the Wall Street jerk offs compliment themselves. Like, oh, people come here for a banking system. No, they don't. Yeah. There are lots of banking systems. They come here because of the rule of law and the fact that there's a peaceful transition of power. And the only reason it's peaceful is because the population, by and large, thinks it's fair. So it, it is actually a system that the whole population buys into. That's why it's enduring. That's why we don't have revolutions. <coughs> and the second you end that, we will have a revolution. Maybe not now, but at some point. If you take people's power away entirely, no economic power, no political power, they will revolt. So you can either put them all in concentration camps or you can prepare to be overthrown. That really is the story of history. That is it uh, right there in a nutshell. And we have to have free elections and and fairness. That whole thing about fair, equal justice, everything, that is essential. And I think that really the Obamas were uh, the the worst. And then the Bidens... uh, are obviously worse than than even the Obamas. But, I mean, I don't think we ever saw the level of unfairness. Uh, I think the first time we ever saw it was with the Obamas. I think that's when we really saw it. In your face. With election rigging and just flat-out racism and discrimination for the first time in my life. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, when I got back from um, Paris, there was no wokeness going on. There was no like Black Lives Matter. There was no like pushing this woke agenda. And the reason why I think that 
um, a lot of these things are going to have a harder time in what would be considered to be a more socialist environment is the fact that they pay they pay so much in taxes because they're sort of like you know uh government paid for education government paid for uh medicine right they have a whole different construct a different relationship with their government and so the government can't for even a second play favorites like Obama did or like Biden does. They can't even for one second cherry pick and choose winners and losers because everybody pays such a premium to live in that socialized state that it would be real thievery, like student loan forgiveness, where you 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 tax one person to pay for somebody else's bill. Mm Mm-mm. That's never going to fly. Picking voter blocks. So Steve Bannon, we also tried to get into this a little bit. And um, I want to pick up just this part here. He talks about three times, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. Manifest destiny of a a continental superpower that the average schmo could get a break. And he had to break slavery and human bondage to do it and put us through a civil war the third donald trump donald j trump his fate his fate and his destiny is the fate and destiny of this republic we either win and save this republic with him as our leader and the 47th president of the united states or you tell me what's after that. You've seen it, right? Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with that. Uh, and, you know, to the tune where I remember um, thinking a little bit about this with Mitt Romney. It's like we can't take four more years of Obama. And then Mitt Romney lost, right? And I was like, we, oh, man, that one hurts. Didn't see that coming. I thought Mitt was going to win in a landslide. And boy, did I not realize that was the one time I think I was totally fooled about Mitt Romney. I can't even believe what that man's become. Can't believe it. I can't believe I was that wrong. But I was, and uh, that's all I can say about that. I got... I, I. completely thought Mitt Romney was the man for the job and supported. I was so into his winning that 2012 election. And I couldn't believe that Obama pulled it off. I knew there had to be rigging. I think there was actually. Certainly CNN, you know, came out with Candy Crowley uh, meddling in the debates like they do on a regular basis now. Speaking of that student loan forgiveness, 40% of all federal student loan borrowers at least 8.8 million Americans missed their student loan payments last month. So as student loan collections restart, millions are not yet paying. After a pandemic freeze, 22 million people received their first bill in years. 
in October. Wow. I wonder what that's going to do to the economy. And around 60% paid. The government uh, is... <laughs> what's going to happen there? I have no idea. But it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So Biden is trying to figure out new ways to push student loan forgiveness. And Vivek uh, weighed in on that. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. Biden's student loan forgiveness disaster is effectively a regressive tax disguised as a progressive policy. Barely over one-third of Americans get a four-year degree. Yet Biden's student loan forgiveness plan forces every citizen to pay for anti-American gender studies majors. It's a scam. It's also a symptom of what the U.S. Department of Education does every day, tilting the scales in the way, uh, in the wrong direction. So basically, you know, you're taking money out of um, the hands of taxpayers and you're putting it into a propaganda machine, which is the American University, that transforms your kids into libtards, that gets them to vote in future elections for the Democrat agenda. And it's just a, it's just a uh, propaganda machine. <clears throat> Here, let's take a listen. What's your thoughts about um, forgiving student loans like Biden? So I'm, against, I'm against student loan forgiveness. I think Thank that you. It, it penalizes the people who have actually done the right thing. Thank you. Right, I so. asked my daughter put herself through college. Yeah. She walked across with no student loans, but she went to something that could be affordable. Yes, and, and she and shouldn't be penalized for making that decision. She said, she, are they going to give my car loan because I don't have a student loan? I said, no. But... Why should student loans be forgiven? I just, yeah, I just so, so, so we should stop using our money to pay people to do the opposite of what's right. Pay people more money to stay home instead of go to work. Uh-huh. Pay people more money to not repay their loans than to repay their loans. I agree. Pay people more money to be single mothers than to be married is really what's happening right. to I, so, I just, so, so that, that changes I, on my I watch. I could, I could cope with if they make their payments religiously every yeah, I'm just against. Honor, I'm against. Then, then you take away some of the interest on the loans. I, I, regardless, I think that I think that we need to make college education. We need to make education more affordable and improve education. That's what we need to focus, well, not just forgiving do, some loans. But not forgiving. Yeah, fix the problem. Um, you know, there it is. So I said here, student loan forgiveness is theft from one taxpayer to another. Again, this would never fly in Paris because people are paying such high taxes. They would never, ever permit this. This would never fly in another country. But in Biden's world and in Obama's world, it, it does because they pick, they, they cherry pick, you know, they, they basically are paying for, for uh, their voting block. They've done it with black people and now they're doing it with the Latinos and Hispanics with the open borders. They do it with students and trying to win the young vote, you know, it's, it's, it's just pay to play. That's all the Democrats know how to do. So student loan, for, uh, student loan forgiveness is theft from one taxpayer to another while using our tax dollars to reimburse left-wing universities and essentially finance the indoctrination of young minds with lies and propaganda in order to shape future voters and gain political power. It's as simple 
as that. It's just that simple. So, there's a, some stuff going on about Epstein and the list and Marsha Blackburn wants to reveal it and people like uh, Dick Durbin, they want to hide it. You know, he was being chased down in the hallway and asked where, the, you know, the uh, why he won't put it up for a vote and he just is stonewalling it. And he said, well, it's not an issue. Who are you with? And the woman said, from Fox. Oh, yeah, big surprise. So a new photo taken by Jeffrey Epstein himself has been released of Bill Gates with an alleged Epstein victim. The photo was reportedly taken in 2014, years after Epstein was convicted for soliciting and procuring prostitution from a minor. So Bill Gates knew. The woman in the photo is a Polish model in her 20s at the time the photo was taken. So the photo was reportedly taken from Gates' Seattle office. The woman who was made, who, who was made promises by Epstein, like many other of his victims, was also seen in photos with Woody Allen and former CBS News journalist Charlie Rose. The unidentified woman... Didn't accuse Gates of any wrongdoing, however. The development raises more questions of why Gates was still hanging out with Epstein despite knowing his he was a pedophile. So that's kind of interesting. And then you got this interview. Uh, well, we're going to get to that in a little while. So um, I wanted to get into some globalist stuff because that's where we opened the show with that. Uh, private uh, private property will be seized globally. J.P. Morgan CEO radical proposal sparks fury and fear. Jamie Dimon. The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, recent demand for world governments to seize private property in the name of saving the planet has sparked intense criticism with detractors accusing him of promoting a globalist agenda that reeks of elitism and overreach. The declaration is less about genuine environmental concern and more about furthering the interests of global elitists who consider themselves above the common populace. Didn't I say that in the beginning? They see this call as an alarming encroachment of individual freedoms and property rights cloaked in the guise of environmentalism. This stance is viewed by many as a classic example of how globalist figures leverage pressing issues like climate change to impose their will and control over the masses, often disregarding democratic processes and individual liberties. Such unfair proposals from high-ranking financial figures only serve to deepen the divide between the elite and the general public which is what they want, creating a scenario where the former dictates terms under the pretense of greater good while the latter is left to bear the consequences. Furthermore, there, this suggestion from a prominent banking CEO raises questions about the underlying motives and the potential conflicts of interest in dictating public policy. 
It reflects a dangerous trend of financial magnets attempting to influence global policies in ways that might benefit their interests or ideologies, all while maintaining a veneer of environmental concern. And that's it, man. Boom. That is what we're talking about right there. So Bill Gates, speaking at the World Economic Forum, in order to achieve net zero, aggressive carbon taxes need to be imposed on first world countries in order to create an artificial demand for clean products so they lower uh, so that lower income countries can benefit from the lower cost okay greater good once again but it's not so and you know he was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein so the world's health czar bill gates was completely unaware that he was on Jeffrey Epstein's private plane, despite having to fly his own private plane to get to the Lolita Express. Should he really be in charge of everyone's health? And of course, the answer is no. Here it is, uh, the congressional cover-up. Let's take a listen to Jesse Waters talking about Dick Durbin. Congress leaves for a three-week vacation in less than 24 <coughs> hours. <coughs> Senator Dick Durbin still refusing to subpoena Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs. We're running out of patience. It's been four and a half years since authorities raided the dead pedophiles' homes, and we haven't heard a peep. Powerful people want to keep you from knowing about Epstein's world. The FBI seized his electronics, surveillance video, and his flight logs. They know who visited the island and who was involved with the trafficked women. But without a subpoena, the FBI is keeping those people safe. Why would you not release these flight logs? Why would there be a protection of not going after releasing this information? Why would you not make public that information? Why would you not make public all of the video that has been captured from Jeffrey Epstein's Palm Beach townhouse, which the FBI has? I'm aware of the interaction with Director Ray from, I believe, last week or the week before. Our, our team would be happy to work on any formal responses. I'm not aware of any subpoenas that have come to the FBI. Normally, this stuff leaks within weeks. It's been years, and we haven't heard a peep. Powerful people want to keep the public from knowing this information, and we don't know if Dick is dirty, but right now, it's starting to look like he is. Who protects a dead pedophile when children are raped? We reached out to Durbin's office once again and asked if he has any plans to subpoena the records before going on vacay. But Dick's given us the cold shoulder. Maybe he doesn't think it's a real concern. But if you think it's important to hold pedophiles and their enablers accountable, send Dick a tweet at Senator Durbin and let him know. At Senator Durbin. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck with that. All right, so, yeah, Marsha Blackburn's been on this. Let's take a listen to this. And it already has a house sponsor. I want to thank each of you for being here. And I, uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you for the, the hearing and for building this out a little bit. Mr. Perez, I so pr- appreciate it. Well, that's, that's going to actually take too long. Um, uh, this one, I didn't screen this one too well. I, I didn't cue it right. So we're going to skip that one. But you heard her speak about it. She's demanding this and she's on it. She's subpoenaed for these records. 
And I hope she gets what she's looking for there. Before we go, I wanted you to hear this. This sex scandal that was happening in the Hart building is just the tip of the spear. Let's take a listen to a little bit of Redacted with Clayton Morris and, and his wife. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her. for Natalie Morris. Okay, here it is. This story because the media is trying really hard not to cover the sex scandal involving two men having sex in the Capitol and posting it to gay sex sites themselves. That happened. So the point that she's about to make that I want you all to pay attention to is remember what they talked about the disgrace of the and the dignity the dignity of of the J6 protests and then now look at what they do they hush hush right it's hypocrisy and uh, this news was largely missing from major news networks but they are slowly starting to admit this is happening it's being investigated. Uh, these are the same networks that told us that the U.S. Capitol was so sacred during January 6th that it needed to be protected with the January 6th hearings and all manner of prosecution. I guess, though, that defiling the U.S. Capitol only means rushing in or being invited in, depending on who you were on January 6th. Uh, but having sex, just fine there. Um, here is a story only from the local Fox station. Anyway, Dan, the United States Senate is being rocked by a sex scandal. U.S. Capitol Police are investigating after a sex tape surfaced online. It showed two men engaged in sex acts inside room 216 of the Hare Senate office building. That's a famous hearing room where U.S. senators have grilled high-profile prof- presidential nominees, including Supreme Court justices. It's unclear if the tape will be considered criminal conduct, but it may have violated Senate ethics rules may have may have we're gonna look at some of the rules that um actually do so you get the idea right the two standards uh listen to this no autism in vietnam until bill gates showed up let's take a listen to this going back to vietnam no vietnam doesn't have anything there's no such thing as autism in 1975 year 2000 year 2001 there's no such thing when Vietnam signed the WHO, when Vietnam signed into the International Monetary Fund, the banking system, Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation introduced the vaccination program into Vietnam. Now Vietnam has over a 300% rise in autism. 300% rise in autism. Wow. So here's Yuval Noah Harari. So we may be facing the 21st century, a completely new kind of inequality. Let's take a listen to what this loser has to say. So I'm not so worried about the Swedes. I mean, even if, even if millions of jobs are lost in Sweden, I, I, I think that because of the tradition <clears throat> of the welfare state and so forth, the Swedish government will raise taxes on the big companies and universal basic income or something like that. The Swedes will be okay. I think. The really big question is what will happen to the Nigerians, to the Bangladeshi, to the Brazilians? If millions of textile workers in Bangladesh lose their jobs because of automation, what will they do? I mean, we are not teaching the children of Bangladesh today to be software engineers. What will they do in 20 or 30 years? And do you really think that, I don't know, the US government will raise taxes on 
Google and Amazon in California and use that to pay basic income to the unemployed Bangladeshi? If you believe that, you can just as well believe that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny will come and take care of the Bangladeshi. Because uh, I don't think this is a realistic uh, uh, solution. Nobody knows what the solution is. So we may be facing, in the 21st century, a completely new kind of inequality, which we have never seen before in human history. On the one hand, the emergence of a new upgraded elite of superhumans enhanced by bioengineering and brain-computer interfaces and things like that. And on the other hand, a new massive useless class, a class that has no military or economic usefulness and therefore also no political power. Wow. Um, you know, in one sense... The way he says it and puts it is so insane. But in the other, um, you know, we have these advancements, whether it's art, you know, who, who needs to write an article anymore when it could be reproduced in our, as an artific- from an artificial intelligence AI mechanism, right? Um, who needs to think anymore when AI can think for you? Um, who needs to do anymore? when automation can do it for you. And so therefore, we do become useless. And so what is our purpose? Or, you know, what are we going to be doing? I mean, AI has taken over the art world, the creative world, you name it. It could write a script for a movie. It's unbelievable where we find ourselves right now. Like I said in the beginning of the show, I was watching Trading Places. And I said, man, you know, back in the early 80s, it was a better time. I, th- I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, this evolving is producing some challenges that, uh, that we, don't, we don't really know what, what we're up against or what we're facing right now. And it's a scary, scary time, to be sure. Well, one last thing. Minnesota is changing their flag, and it looks surprisingly like the Somalian flag, flag, the new design. How do you like that? Yeah, of course, Elhan Omar is going to be real happy about that. I can't believe that they're doing that. Um, in any case, look that up. But uh, be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can, if you like to keep the Scott Adams Show commercial free. Also use Red State over at MyPillow.com. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, buddy. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.